and we had to change our church services. I walked in here this morning and our church was filled with people. People are everywhere. Worshiping the Lord this morning. I'm telling you, they're they're moving and they're they're just I mentioned it Wednesday night and I guess I guess people got under convicted and they decided to come on to church. But we've just got a great crowd here today. I'm I'm seeing signs, some of them are holding up signs, good preaching. Another one says, Preach it, Pastor. Amen, amen, and that's right. I love that. I, I don't know who did this, but thank you for filling our church with helium balloons. Uh, because it looks like this building is full of people. And it's just great. I don't know who did this, but I, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. And uh, you just enjoy yourself because it won't be long until I'll be laughing. I'll have real people here. Real people in the church again. And I know that's coming pretty soon. I know we're going to get back to normal eventually. We're not going to rush it. We're going to be uh, very cautious, wise. Everybody say, I want to be wise. Because if we're not wise, we can find ourselves in worse trouble than we are right now. <clears throat> I also want to say, uh, today at 5 o'clock, we're going to do something different. We're going to have Zoom Church. Everybody say Zoom Church. Actually, what we're going to do, we have a Zoom program. And Sister Debbie is, I think, going to be our host. She has a paid account. And at 5 o'clock, all of you that want to are going to uh, call the number. We've sent it to you, an email, text. If you did not get it, uh, check with Brother Nick Beard or Sister Debbie, and um, one of them can give you that number. But at 5 o'clock, don't wait till 5 o'clock. Start, start a few minutes before 5 and start getting on. What are we going to do? We're just going to see each other. We're just going to fellowship, laugh and cut up, talk to each other for a little while, about an hour. And if you like it, we'll probably start doing it on a weekly basis. We may even have some meetings, different programs and departments uh, in our church. We may have some meetings and and all of us go to Zoom that are in those departments and, and have a meeting online. <clears throat> We're going to do what we got to do to make it work. Amen. Well, shake hands with somebody and tell them you love them. If you're sitting by somebody at home, you probably ought to be able to just hug their neck because you're in the same shelter. Hug them and just tell them I love you. Even if you don't mean it, do it because pastor asks you to. And then hopefully I'll say something today that'll make you mean it. It'll make you feel like I really do love this person I'm living with. I'll tell you what, I'm in... <clears throat> I'm loving my wife more than I've ever loved her. She's taking better care of me than I've ever been taken care of. She's cooking more than we've cooked. She's cooked in years, and uh, we're gaining weight. That's progress. That's prosperity. Everybody wants prosperity. Well, it's happening. We're getting prosperous. <laughs> but uh, God is good. 
God is good. The church is still alive. And believe it or not, Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He's still number one. He's still king of all kings, lord of all lords. He's still the mighty God. He still has all power. He's still in control. Somebody say, I believe that. Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you, these people that y'all sent here today are not worshiping any better than the ones I already had. I hadn't heard them shouting too much. They just kind of, kind of quiet. I want to turn your attention to 2 Kings, verse number 1 of chapter 18. 2 Kings 18 and 1. Love you guys. Hopefully uh, you'll tune in on Zoom today at 5 o'clock. Let's just have a great fellowship. Great time. Some of you are probably scared to death. You don't know how to do those things. I didn't get on Zoom one time in my life to two weeks ago or about two or three weeks ago. A bunch of us Bible college graduates got together. I don't know how many, seven or eight couples. I never had been on Zoom in my life, and I liked it. It was cool. I got to sit there and talk to each other. It's like FaceTime, except you don't just look at one person. You may have 40 or 50 different squares pop up on your screen. And so that's what we're going to do today. Don't be afraid. We can't get your money. We can't take anything out of your house. None of your secrets are going to be revealed unless you, unless you tell us those secrets. So it's just FaceTime is all it is. Don't be afraid of it. We're going to have a good time today. Verse number one of chapter 18. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did, notice this statement here, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. I think that's one of the most powerful statements that could be made about a person in the Word of God and even in our day in which we live that somebody would make the statement that he was right in the sight of the Lord. If you're not right in the sight of the Lord, then it, the opposite applies. He's wrong. In the sight of the Lord. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Being right in His sight. Everybody say it with me. Being right in His sight. Clap your hands to the Lord before you said it. God bless you. That sounds good this morning. All of you.
uh, 20-something other people uh, that showed up today. They're very colorful, but they're not too uh, uh, loud. When you read the Bible about the history of the kings, the Bible gives the name of the king, how old he was, how long he served, who his father was, and then it would make a statement after every one of the kings of Israel and Judah. You can go read these accounts, and it will either say, he did right in the sight of the Lord, or he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it was close to 50% of them did right. It was amazing how when a new king would come in uh, to rule, he would, if he was doing right, most of the time they would clean things out of the temple. They would destroy the groves and the idols and places of worship to uh, foreign gods. And they would make decrees that anyone that did that, their life would be in jeopardy. And then when the next king would come along, he would just allow anything and everything, no restrictions, no guidelines, and people began to do what was right in their own eyes. Each king had to decide if he was or was not going to serve the Lord. And I truly believe that every one of us are faced with that decision in our lives. We have to decide at one point or another in our lives, am I going to live for God or am I not going to live for God? It's as simple as that. And a lot of people look at the what I can't do and what I have to do and it overrides the blessings uh, that God pours out upon us and most of all the promise of eternity with Him forever and ever. A lot of people forget about eternity. They only get their minds on the present, today, and what I want to do with my life today. And so the 12 tribes of Israel were divided into a southern kingdom of two tribes uh, of Judah and the northern kingdom which consisted of 10 tribes called Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel had become so corrupt that uh, they began to serve idols. And God's patience had finally run out on Israel and they collapsed under the weight of their sin. The Assyrian army invaded them and conquered them and put them in exile, made prisoners out of them and servants. The ten tribes of Israel were not only blood relatives of the tribes of Judah, but they were actually next door neighbors. Judah as a nation under King Ahaz uh, had begun to fall into the same corrupt condition 
as Israel had fallen into. But God somehow had mercy on Judah and sent them King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the 14th king of Judah. He inherited the throne from his father Ahaz. Hezekiah faced some very critical decisions during his reign as king of Judah. But the most important decision that Hezekiah ever faced as king of Judah was what will I do about serving God? I am convinced that every man born into this world must face that all-important decision in your life. What will I do with Jesus Christ? Every other decision we make, whether it's financial, ethical, moral, economical, or whatever, will be influenced by that first most important decision that we make. What makes a good decision a good or bad decision bad? All of us have heard the statement that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. What does that actually mean? We all have a tendency to not be happy with what we possess, what we have right now. We have a tendency to imagine something being better for us somewhere else, with someone else doing something different than what we are doing right now. A lot of church members get that spirit gets a hold of them while living for God, and uh, they're not feeling what they want to feel, or the atmosphere is not what they would like it to be. And that's why we find a lot of people uh, going somewhere else, uh, trying to find the conditions that they want to live under. But let me tell you something, living for God is not easy somewhere else living for God is when you make up your mind I'm going to live for God wherever I find myself it doesn't matter where you go to church it matters how much you love Jesus I'm telling you you can love Jesus and live for God anywhere if you want to Proverbs eleven twenty three, in the NIV, NIV version states The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. According to this verse, the tendency to desire something better is good if it's righteous desire, but if we do wicked things, only wrath is waiting on us. We solve problems and we make decisions every day of our lives. Some problems and decisions are very challenging and require a lot of thought, emotion, research. Others just come naturally to us. Sometimes we need to consider what is the problem and why do I have this problem? 
Is it my problem? Can I solve it? And is it worth solving? Is this the real problem? Or merely a symptom of a larger problem in my life? If this is an old problem, what's wrong with the previous solution? Does it need an immediate solution or can I wait to solve it? It is likely, is it likely to go away by itself or can I risk ignoring it? Some decisions we make change the whole direction and the future of our lives. Few people make a deliberate choice between good and evil. The choice is usually between what I want to do and what I ought to do. When we say I do at the wedding ceremony, we change everything about our future. Years later, I do may become do I? How many times have we sat at a table and made a five-year commitment on a brand new car because we thought, I just have to have it. I can't live without it. How many times have we purchased things we couldn't live without and later found out we couldn't even live with them either? Since we all make decisions every day and the decisions we make can change and affect our future, how do you know how to make a good decision? There are times that you should not make a decision. Number one, don't make a decision when you're hungry. Don't go shopping for groceries when you're hungry. Man, that's the worst thing in the world you can do is go shopping when you're hungry. Always eat before you go because if you don't, everything's going to look good and you're going to buy stuff you wish you hadn't bought. You're going to buy things that you won't even eat. You'll probably end up giving it away. You get agitated and impatient when you're hungry. You will probably spend money that you cannot afford to spend. You will do things that you shouldn't do when you get hungry after something. Esau, the Bible said, sold his birthright to Jacob, his brother, for a bowl of pottage because he was hungry. This decision changed Jacob's future and it also changed Esau's future. Much hurt and fear and anger and deception affected both of their lives because of that one decision that this man made because he was hungry. Another time you don't make decisions is when you're tired and under pressure. You don't want to go car shopping when you're tired and under pressure. You don't want to go house shopping when you're tired and under pressure. And you certainly don't want to go clothes shopping with your wife when you're tired and under pressure. You'll just finally say, get what you want. I don't care. And that will be the worst thing that ever happened to you. 
Elijah went against 450 prophets of Baal and proved who God really was. He went up on the mountain and he prayed till God sent rain and it hadn't rained in over three years. Then he ran to the city, outran a chariot, a horse pulling a chariot. He outran it to the city. And when he got to the city, Delilah said that she was going to kill him because of what he was doing. And then he ran and hid from her. He was weary. He was hungry. And he, in that condition, he said, God, why don't you just kill me? I say he was tired and weary and burnt out because he wasn't thinking right. Because Delilah had already told him she was going to kill him. And if, 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 if he wanted to be killed, why didn't he just stay there and let Delilah do it? He didn't have to ask God to kill him. The reason was he really didn't want to be killed. He really did not want to die. But he was hungry. He was frustrated. He was worn out. But a little while later, we find that he went to sleep. And God sent food to him. And he rested and he revived himself in the next few verses after he ate and rested. We find out that he went to do great things for God. There were miracles that took place in his ministry. Another time you don't want to make a decision is when you're angry. How many times have we said things, we've broken things, we did things that we wish we had not done. It was done because we were angry. Moses let the children of Israel get under his skin. He got so mad and disturbed at them that when God told him to speak to the rock, he was so angry that he took the rod as he had done another time and he smote the rock. The Lord honored and let the water come forth that they needed, but he wasn't happy with him. Another time Moses got so angry, he had been in the presence of God for 40 days. And in that time, the children of Israel became ungodly and built a golden image and began to worship that Worship that golden calf. And when Moses saw it, he was so angry at them that he broke the commandments that God had written with his finger on tablets of stone. When you are desperate is another time that you don't want to make a decision. Abraham and Sarah were promised a son from God. In fact, God had promised Abraham that through that son would be a mighty nation. It would be descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea. And Abraham and Sarah, when they were getting old and they could not see hope and they lost their faith, they tried to help God and work this problem out 
by having a son with Hagar. And because they tried to help God and they made this decision in a desperate time in their lives, Israel is still suffering today because of that decision. You do not make decisions when you're fearful. Israel made a decision not to enter into Canaan's land because of the fear that they had of the giants. That decision they made when they listened to the ten spies that reminded them of the giants and said, we cannot. They did not listen to the faith and the positive statement of Joshua and Caleb that were telling them that God, with God, all things were possible. And because of that, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until everybody above 21 years old died except Joshua and Caleb. God had to get rid of that doubt because they just made that decision in fear. If God told you that you could ask Him for any one thing, in this life, what would it be? If you understand it's not a genie thing, you're not going to get three wishes after you rub a magic lamp. There's no mulligans, no takebacks, and no do-overs. No chance to say, man, I should have wished for something else. But if you just had one wish... And God asks you, what is that wish? In your heart today, I want you to ask yourself, what would that be? When Solomon became king over Israel, we read that God actually did that to him. In 2 Chronicles 1 and 7, it says, That night God appeared to Solomon. And he said unto him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered the Lord, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord, let your promise to my father David be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. And here's what he said. Here was his answer to the question that God asked him. He said, God, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours and he asked for wisdom he asked for knowledge and look what God said God said to Solomon verse 11 since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked me for wealth riches nor honor nor for the death of your enemies the death of your enemies and since you have not asked for long life, 
but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I also give you wealth, riches, and honor such as no king who before you had and none after you will have. I'm telling you, somebody here needs to hear me today. It does make a difference what you ask for from God. It is important that we ask for the right things. It's important that we love the right things. It's important that we decide on the right things. It's important what you do with your life how you live your life what you think in your mind how you treat others these things are important to God and we need to have a desire to be right with him Samson made a decision to tell Delilah his secret of where his power was and as a result of that decision he lost his power he lost his eyesight. He lost his witness. He lost his power with God. And he lost his life. Jonah made a decision not to do God's will and found himself in the belly of a whale. Jonah later changed his mind and made a decision that he would go if God would deliver him. And because of that, the whole city of Nineveh was spared because there was something uh, that influenced uh, Jonah's preaching so much that the people of that city, because of king's decree, went into sackcloth and ashes and repenting and fasting and praying because that man preached that the kingdom that God was about to destroy this place unless they repented and they believed him because Jonah made that decision to change his course change his mind and to be what God wanted him to be. I'm telling you, you may have already messed up your life. You may be a nobody and a nothing. You may be down to nothing. You may be on the bottom of this life. But I'm telling you, if you'll make right decisions and right choices, and you'll get a desire to be right with God, if you will get a desire to obey God and to serve Him, God can change you. He can make you different. He can give you power and and you can make something out of your life. We have preachers in the United Pentecostal Church that used to live on the streets and they were in drugs and gains and prison and all sorts of things. But today they're preaching the gospel because they made a right decision. Because they wanted to get right with God. And if you want to get right with God, I'm telling you, God will help you get right. But if you want to be evil and do evil in the sight of the Lord, God will let you. Lot's wife made a decision to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels of the Lord told her, don't look back. She did it anyway. She turned to a pillar of salt and died. 
Adam and Eve made the decision to eat the forbidden fruit that God told them not to eat. And they lost fellowship with God. They lost eternal life and they had to die. The woman with the issue of love made that decision to press on in through that crowd, push her way through. Even though she was unclean and everybody she touched, they became unclean. She pressed on through because she had faith that if I can touch him, it will make a difference. I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear me today. You need to get desperate about touching God. You need to get desperate about changing. If you do, it can and will happen to your life. You'll be different after God gets a hold of you. Blind Bartimaeus made the decision to ignore what people thought, ignored what they were saying. They were telling him to be quiet. He ignored that because... He had a desire to be healed from that blindness. And when Jesus stopped and heard that man and stopped and said, come here, Bartimaeus, come to me. And he came over there in the presence of the Lord. In a moment, his life was changed. He threw those beggars' garments away, walked over to the Lord, and he walked away seeing that day. Most of our world place anything and everything above God in their worship. The whole world worships the gods of brick, stone, gold, silver, and stubble. Mankind will serve a job, a lifestyle, power and fame and fortune and sports and education, satisfaction of self. But he will not bend his knee to serve the true God of heaven. I want to thank God for those of us who do serve God. We are the only force on the earth that keeps back the powers of darkness and hell that are attacking our world today. I do believe that what we're going through right now with this coronavirus is an attack of the enemy. It is satanic. Uh, it is uh, coming from the devil. I don't believe it's just a sickness that happened. I believe it was done on purpose. I believe that there are evil minds behind this. You say you can't prove it? No, there's a lot of things we can't prove because we don't have the access to the files and we don't get the true picture from the media. But our world is in trouble today, not because of the president, not because of the government. We're in trouble because of sin. Sin is rampant. It's destroying our world. We gotta have somebody that'll stand up and fight against it and pray against it and push back the powers of darkness. If you're not praying, you need to start praying. If you're not praying at home, it's time that you get off your lazy hand in and start praying and start fasting and start believing God. This is serious what we're in. We're in the end time. Some of you are asleep to that fact. You think everything's going to be just like it was. I'm not sure if it's ever going to be like it was. 
But whether it is or whether it isn't, this attack is against our world. The devil realizes time is out. He's on the verge of the coming of the Lord. He's on the verge of the end time. He knows it. He knows it. He knows it. You and I don't, but he knows his time is running out. And he's desperate. And he's trying to destroy humanity. Once the bride of Christ, of the church, is taken out of this world to be with Jesus in the air, all hell will be released upon the earth and there will be a time of trouble and death and destruction worse than you can imagine. This coronavirus is bad. I will tell you, I'm not one of those that make light of it. It is very serious. It is very bad. But this is a drop in the bucket of what is going to come upon this earth when you take Jesus and his saints out of this world. When you take the influence of the church out of this world, honey, it is not a place that you want to live in. You need to listen to me, backslider, those of you that are tuned in today. You need to hear, pastor. It's time that you get shaken. It's time you wake up. It's time you realize this is the end time. We're living close to the coming of the Lord and you don't have much time left. The world will finally experience the power of the devil to kill, steal, and destroy man who is created in the image of God. And I want to tell you, I'm glad to be part of the body of Christ. I'm so glad to be in the church. I'm so glad to have hope. I'm so glad that I have a future in God. But I'm very disturbed, greatly burdened, and truly concerned for those who do not know Jesus. 1 Peter 4 and 17 says, for the, the time is come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end of them be or the end that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. But to be part of the body of Christ that will rule and reign with Jesus, we must all face that ultimate decision. What are we going to do with Jesus? My friend, there is no other decision that you will ever face that, you, that will carry such a tremendous impact on your life, and on your family, and upon where you will spend eternity, then what am I doing with Jesus in my life? Choice plays a big part in our lives. For instance, we can get anything we want from any continent in the world over the net. We can have it delivered in a few short days, in some cases even hours, if we're willing to pay the shipping. We can choose our religion, our political leaders, and our lifestyle. 
choice plays a big part in our lives, perhaps even bigger than we even realize. Peter Drucker is a management and business leadership guru. He once was asked, out of the many advances we have made in recent years, what would our generation be remembered for? He said this, the defining future of our generation is not technology, medicine, invention, or discovery. The defining feature of our generation is choice, and we are woefully unprepared for it. Is that how you feel when you're faced with a decision? Woefully unprepared, uncertain, What's right? Which way do we go? Well, the good news is you don't have to limp through life paralyzed by uncertainty and indecision. This is help available from the Lord for you to confidently make the right choice every time. Every time with God, you will make the right choice. We are all humans and we have great potential to make mistakes. In fact, we all do make mistakes. We wait too long. Sometimes we pay too much. We say the wrong things. We open our mouths and insert our foot. All of us have done stupid things. But the wise man learns from the mistakes that he makes. Being right in his sight is the right thing for all of us to do. In order to be right, we got to do right. Jesus knew that we would face things in this life that were greater than we are. And that's why the Lord gave us the power of the Holy Ghost. Acts 1 and 11 says, You shall receive power power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. We receive that power when we obey what Jesus said in John chapter 3 by being born again of water and of spirit. Some people try to explain it away and, and make it of no non uh, importance of, of being uh, really nothing that uh, we have to do but Jesus was emphatic when he said you must be born again of water and of spirit if you want to enter into the kingdom of God and what I'm telling you today that is the best thing that you could do in your life is to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That will be the thing that confirms that you have been born again of water and of spirit. That thing will be what gets you ready to meet God. It will prepare you for the rapture. It will confirm your ticket in the new uh, Jerusalem it'll make your life different if you want to be right you're going to have to do right in order to do right sometimes we got to have help and our help comes from the Lord 
Would you stand with me?